So everybody wants relationships like this, right? Um, marital relationships, friendships, child and parent relationships. When we see pictures like that one, we immediately begin to think, oh man, that's, 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 that's comforting, that's, that's warming, that's fun to admire. But at the same time, we also probably begin to evaluate ourselves off of those and think about how our relationships are unlike those, how they are problematic, frustrating, sometimes full of fighting and working, the hard work of relationships. But I hope that when you see a video like that one, that you don't just assume that those people are different than you and have something figured out that you don't, but that you realize what you're seeing is, first of all, what's on a video that people prepared for, and second, that there's a whole lot more that goes into those relationships than just what you see. It's like admiring a great football player. Uh, on Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon during college days or uh, today as the NFL is playing, tomorrow as you're watching the Cowboys. When you watch those guys get out there and perform, you can just sit and admire this athlete, this great athlete at work. And you can take it from what you see and just leave it at that. But you know, those of you, especially those of you who ever played any kind of sport, you know that there is a lot of work that went on behind the scenes for all of those individuals to get where they were. Especially when you're talking about the NFL level and those who play at an elite level at the highest level of the game, you know that they probably started getting ready for football in that capacity or in some way by when they were little boys, like five or six years old, if not younger, begin to be bred in that direction because maybe they had it within their family lineage, that kind of athleticism or something that set them apart and then gave way to a lifetime of preparation to that event. And even on like a daily basis, those guys don't just show up on Sunday morning and play football. No, they, especially like at the quarterback, they're studying the game plan or your middle linebacker in defense and, and making sure that you know exactly what the other team is going to do as, as, as well as getting their body ready. Some of them going not just through training their body, but through, uh, through days and days of rehabbing different injuries in order to get to some point where they can actually function on Sunday morning while they're playing the game because everything in their bodies hurts. And it takes a ton of preparation, a ton of work to get to that point, which is why it's got to be frustrating for them and why I often laugh to myself when I see and I even see that in me as well to when we look at those athletes that have, are at that level and that are prepared to that extent and we think that we could have done better. Now, I know none of you guys think that or, or especially like with a coaching staff that gets paid millions of dollars and studies film like around the clock it seems like to think that you could have called a better play I know we have that in us but we're not keeping in mind at all we're not even beginning to think of what they actually went through to prepare for that moment those love stories that you saw on the screen, that, that was prepared by a church for Valentine's Day, by the way. That's why it was all touchy-feely like that. But those love stories, there are harder parts that you're not seeing. There are darker parts that you're not seeing. And we're going to talk about that framework of relationships. From the marital relationship to friendly relationships. We're going to talk about that over the next seven weeks, six weeks, starting today, as we look at relationships in particular. Not just for married people, but for any and all human relationships. As we begin to think about what kind of relationship does it take, or what, what kind of work does it take to get to that level in a relationship. This is a remake. Now, it's not a lot or anything like that. Um, I thought about just rolling it down the aisle just to see what would happen. Um, but this is a grenade that uh, 
a church of ours that we have been a part of before. Our youth minister bought as a part of a series that he was doing. Uh, he bought a bunch of other stuff from an army salvage store, um, just kind of decoration kind of things. And there's a, there's a really good reason why I keep this, and I keep it out to see it that I'll tell you about some other time. But this grenade, like, first of all, it's a picture of just how, how ingenuitively evil we can be as a human race. Uh, to think about ways that we can hurt each other. Then um, that's kind of beside the point as well. But just to think about what this thing actually does. It's a steel ball, essentially, that you, you don't, I'm sure many of you know how it works, but you fill it with powder and there's, you pull the pin and it starts a fuse and it ignites the powder and then the steel ball itself fragments. That's why it's called a frag grenade. Fragments into pieces, become shrapnel, and those, those pieces of metal tear through skin and flesh and organs and kill people. That's why this thing exists. And I tell you that to, for this reason. I was reading a story recently uh, about a guy named Michael, Michael Monsoor, a Navy silk gunner, uh, who at the age of 25, back in 2006, uh, was engaged in battle in Iraq, a Navy SEAL, uh, along with his fellow soldiers. Uh, they were in a bunker, and as they were fighting the enemy, one of these hit him in the chest and fell on the ground. And according to his fellow soldiers that were in the bunker with him that day, uh, he never took his eye off the grenade. He saw it fall on the ground, and he instinctively, instinctually dove on the grenade. Now, you've heard about this happening, right? You've heard somebody say, dive on the grenade. But there's an actual time where it did happen. An American soldier dove on one, killing himself, but saving the lives of the people that were in the bunker with him that day. Many of them had shrapnel damage to their legs, but nowhere above, because he took the rest on himself, literally. And it killed him in that moment. And, and I began to think as I read that story, what kind of relationship does it take to be willing to make that kind of sacrifice? And I don't think he just like decided to do that in the moment. Because that's so instinctual. You're talking about a very quick move. This is not something where he sat down and thought, hmm, I wonder if I should, should get on a grenade or not. Here are the advantages. Here are the disadvantages. Let me think about this. Let me call back home and see if this is the right decision. No, this was an instinctual move where he dove on the grenade to protect his brothers and sisters in arms. And the reason why I think he did that is because he decided long before he went into battle that day, probably long before he, he, he got deployed to that part of Iraq to fight in that battle, there was somewhere where he made the decision that if there comes a time where I have to lay down my life for my brothers and sisters in arms, I'm going and I'm willing to do it. There was some point where he counted the cost and decided he was up for it, whatever it took. And so that since he had made that decision, when the things hit the fan, when it came time for him to actually act on that, 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 that desire, that, that, that conviction that he had, he acted on it without thinking, out of instinct. He counted the cost and he acted. What kind of relationship does it take to make that choice? To have that sort of enduring passion and devotion to someone? Maybe that question is hard for us to answer because many of us, if we're being honest with ourselves in 2017 today, are, are far too busy throwing grenades at each other than we are to actually think about diving on one and sacrificing for someone else. Uh, we're good at, at tearing down both ourselves and the people around us, but the idea of sacrifice? You're kidding me, right? To actually think that we would say no to something that we want and we believe that we deserve so that we might give something, somebody else what they want? 
Uh, Much of the world is more concerned, and, and the world tells us that this is a good thing, is more concerned to be ambitious so that we can get out of a relationship what we want instead of looking for ways that we can serve other people. And so this morning as we begin to talk about relationships, I'm going to ask you again that question. What kind of a relationship does it take to make the choice to be lovingly sacrificial to the person or to the people with whom you're in the relationship? What do we have to do to count that cost and to prepare ourselves for that? So as we talk about counting the cost, a God-honoring relationship will cost you everything. And I don't feel like I'm overstating the point, and I'll explain that as we move along here. But a God-honoring relationship will cost you everything. Not just a marriage relationship, any relationship that we have with other people. If you want to honor God in it, there's going to be a heavy price tag. Are you willing to count that cost? To sit down and to consider what it's going to take to be able to pour that amount of effort into someone else? And then, even more directly, are you willing to pay that cost for the people that you claim to love? Jesus talks about this very thing, the idea of counting the cost, as he addresses his disciples and followers and tells them the cost of following him. And that's where we're going to look this morning. Luke chapter 14, verses 28 through 32. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost? whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate, whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Again, in the context here, Jesus is talking about the cost of following him. But what that means and what that looks like. The cost of discipleship, we would say. It's a great book by that, by that title. He wanted those who were considering following him to not even start unless they were prepared to sacrifice, unless they were prepared for the difficulty ahead of what it meant to follow Jesus. And this morning, the reason why I'm using that is how it pertains to our relationships with one another, our relationships with other people, our spouses, our children, our parents, our brothers and sisters, our friends, our church members, so on and so forth, is that one of the ways that we follow God is by the way that we love each other. As a matter of fact, he kind of spelled it out that way, Jesus did. That the greatest commandment is to love God, right? With everything that you have. And the second, which is like it, is to love your neighbor as yourself. Not only that, elsewhere in the Gospels, he says that basically everything is summed up in the command to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So loving others is an important part, one of the most important parts of what it means to follow Jesus. So we honor God by honoring those we claim to love. We, when we count the cost of following Jesus, we're also counting the cost of what it means to love others the way that he wants us to, the way that he calls us to. You see, your relationships are more, are about more than just you and the other person or the other people with whom you're in the relationship. Because the way that we love each other tells the world something. 
And when I say the way that we love each other, I'm talking about husbands and wives, I'm talking about brothers and sisters, I'm talking about parents and children, every single kind of relationship. I'm talking about even some of the more trivial relationships are smaller. I wouldn't say a church relationship is trivial, but it's not like familial. So even within the church relationship, but then let's talk about truly trivial relationships, like the relationship you form uh, with a person who's waiting on you when you go into a restaurant. Just any kind of interaction we have where we relate with another person, all of those relationships, if people know that we are Christians, all of those relationships tell those people something about God, whether we like it or not. They are going to view Jesus through the lens of the Christian that is sitting in front of them to decide whether this Jesus is someone they want to follow or not. Now, that's not good. People are are fallen. We should never base our religious beliefs off of another person, but... Perception is reality, and that's what's happening, and that's how a lot of people look at the church, is if the church has fallen, well, then God must be too, and so they give up. And especially in our close relationships, in our familial relationships, the vows that we take with one another, the promises that we, take with one, that we make with one another, the way that we, we claim to love and follow, that's not just between us and the other person or the other people, but that's also God in the center of it. And just one final commercial for the married couples out there. We are doing that marriage class on Wednesdays at 6.30 over in the mission building. We're going to talk around this very idea about how God seeks to make us holy through our marriage. And how our marriage is not just about us and our spouse, but our collective relationship with God and what God is trying to do in us. Your relationships are about more than you and other people. And so are you willing to count the costs? When it comes to the way that you love the people with whom you're in relationships, as well as the way that you love God by loving those people. Are you willing to count the costs? You know, one of the things that I, that, I, that I like to do or that I enjoy doing is to sit down with couples that are going to be married and do some premarital counseling. Um, it's fun to see people who are, they're at that beginning stage where... I'm talking about people, you know, getting married for the first time and they're younger. They're excited about marriage. You know, they're happy uh, when they share everything. They're still giggling with each other. You know what I'm talking about, right? They haven't yet been jaded by the years of adulthood. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yes? Yes? Okay. Well, when I sit down with those people, one of the things that I always end up talking with them about is lofty expectations. Now, I know those, folk, those of you who have been married for decades, you have no idea what I'm talking about, right? Because you met your spouse's expectations, and your spouse met every single one of your expectations. Yes, I, I just assume that everybody has that perfect marriage, like that couple that's been married 40 years, you know, where you start talking about it and you get choked up because it's just so meaningful to you. I know that's how all of you guys are, so you don't need to listen to this at all. But, but generally speaking, people don't live up to expectations. Especially when you're young and you're like a teenager or in your 20s, you're about to get married, and you expect that that person to whom you're about to get married is going to be like perfect, right? Like y'all are going to sit down and you're going to put a budget together and you're going to live up to it every single month and you're going to love each other's families. You know, she's going to be best friends with your mother and you're going to hang out with her father and it's going to be this wonderful experience. You're going to go hunting and fishing together uh, and, and, you know, she's going to, she's going to do all of the things that, that around the house that you think she should do and, and, and you're going to get to do I know I'm looking at this from a man's perspective. Or he's going to do all of the things outside like he's supposed to do and, and this person's going to, going to make most of the money and this person's going to do this with the children and, and not only that but this person is going to be as clean as they, they thought that I was that, that they were 
were before we actually got married, and then you find out that you're both dirty human beings, uh, and that you leave a trail of trash behind you everywhere you go. Can I get an amen from somebody? Don't leave me hanging that I'm the only one who's going to be like this, because I'm going to pay for it later if I'm the only one. But I know that we're human beings, and we're like this, and we all have expectations, and we don't live up to each other's expectations. So one of my main jobs in premarital counseling is to tell people, hey, you're going to fight. What I always tell people, and I'll say it in here, you're going to fight about sex and money. You're going to fight about those two things, and you're going to fight about other things probably as well as a married couple. You will have arguments. That's going to happen. And this is what Jesus is talking about, is counting the costs. Sitting down and thinking, okay, okay, like, like really, what is this going to be like? Because think about marriage. Think about any kind of relationship. Okay, it is two people coming together to form a friendship or to be in a family unit with one another. And you are like agreeing to do life together. And now that sounds like a wonderful idea, but you know how selfish you are, right? Right? Like sit down and count the cost. I can be pretty selfish. And and I know that other people maybe be that way as well. So when you put those two things together, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be resistance. Are you really going to sit down and count the costs? And when I say count the costs, I don't mean getting ready for a marathon by sitting down and watching Iron Man on television for 12 hours. I mean, are you really, really willing to put in the work to get ready to count the cost and be prepared to lay down everything if that's what it's going to take? Jesus uses two metaphors to talk about counting the cost. He says that there's a man that's about to build a tower. And this man, of course, he said, anybody would do this. You've got to sit down and count the cost. Literally. The man would sit down. He even uses that language, which means he, he stops and he thinks about it deeply, about how much it's going to take to buy all of the material to build this tower. Those of you who have built homes, you know what this is like. Or you built a business or anything else. You had to sit down and count. Do we really have the resources, the finances, the people, the time, all of that to make this happen? Have we, have we got the city or the county or the state or whatever to sign off on all the permits? Uh, do we have insurance ready? Do we have all of these other things? Have we talked to the bank and make sure that their agreement is still good? Do we have all of these ducks in a row to make sure that this goes down like it's supposed to? Because as Jesus says, you don't want to be the guy who gets started and then finds out in the middle that you don't have what it takes. And then there's half a building there or half a tower there. And everybody that walks by says, see, that guy didn't know what he was doing. He wasn't ready. Are you prepared and are you capable of doing the work required? A God-honoring relationship requires work. It's a process. It's just like building a house. You lay the foundation and then you build the frame and then you begin to do the outside of the house and then the inside. And there's parts to every single, every single element. And you've got to make sure you have this con- you know, the main contractor who's over it all, who gets all the subcontractors. And there's, there's so many different things at work that could fall apart, whether somebody not showing up when they're supposed to, the loan not coming through, that you know that there's always going to be setbacks. Are we willing to count the cost in our relationships as well and come in with the expectation that sometimes there's going to be setbacks? And it's going to take work. Work with a capital W. And go ahead and capitalize the O-R-K as well. Put it in all caps. It's going to take some work to do that. Some hard work. The second metaphor that Jesus uses is a king that's about to go to war. 
Again, I love how he talks about following him. This is the overall context, right? He talks about following him and the metaphors that he uses are building a building and heavy work and fighting an enemy in battle. A king about to go to war who has 10,000 men and they're about to face an army double that size with 20,000. And Jesus essentially says the king needs to figure out is his army up for that? Do they have the forces required to win that battle, to withstand that adversity? And if they don't, then he better send somebody out and beg for mercy and ask for peace because he's just going to get destroyed if they go in and they're not ready. In the same way in our relationships, are you willing and are you ready to withstand adversity? Adversity that's bigger than you and that's bigger than you thought you could overcome on your own, that you know you can handle on your own. You will have to fight to maintain a God-honoring relationship. I know this isn't sunshine and roses. I know this isn't as romantic and beautiful as the videos we showed just a moment ago. But this is what is going on behind the scenes in those videos. I know it because I'm a human and you know it as well. That sometimes we have to work and sometimes we have to fight. And if we don't do those things, we're going to lose. If we don't do those things, it's going to fail. Because a human relationship can sometimes be a fight. You will get blindsided. You will get hit in the mouth when a friend stabs you in the back or a spouse does something to hurt you deeply. You will get popped in the mouth with a left hook when a parent says something to you that crushes your spirit or a child walks away from you and from the Lord. You will get blindsided. You will get knocked down and you will be on your backside and hear the ref counting and you will say to yourself at some point, if you are a human being, I'm done. I don't want to get up. I don't want this fight anymore. But hopefully when you hit the mat and when you're on your back, hopefully you act out of instinct because somewhere back before you made the commitment, you made the choice that no matter what happens, no matter what I have to do, even if it costs me everything, I'm going to give that for this relationship. And so it's not a question when you hit your back. And if you see somebody that's a, that's, a, that's a seasoned fighter, if you ever watch boxing or MMA or anything like that, when they get knocked down, that's not the end of the fight. No, they're going to scrap. I love MMA, especially when a guy's like on his back and somebody's just pummeling him. They're not giving up. They're going to fight until they're out of breath, until they're, they're passed out. And boxing is the same way. The guys will get back up. Rocky Balboa is the perfect example, right? I know it's a movie and not a real thing, but he would always get back up and take the next shot because somewhere along the way long before he ever got in the ring he made the decision I will not quit as long as I can stand are we willing to have that kind of determination commitment and passion in our relationships and if you're not up for it don't bother that's essentially what Jesus says at the end if you are not willing to forsake everything else you cannot be my disciple You'll just be embarrassed that you get the building halfway done and can't finish it. You'll be the guy that realizes that it's better to surrender than it is to fight and get destroyed. So as we begin to talk about relationships, let me ask you this morning. Count the cost. Assess, honestly, what it's going to take. And then make a decision. One way or the other. Are you in? Or are you out? I hope you choose in. Because our world 
and the church overall in America in particular is in need of people that are all in with their relationships. That are willing to fight and work to do what it takes for their friends, their spouses, their children, their parents, their church members, their extended family, whoever it is that are willing to go that extra length even and especially when it's not returned. Because here's the thing about us as human beings, right? We are willing to lay down a lot and to go the extra mile as long as we know somebody else is going to go there with us, right? Well, I, I know this is, is getting a little, a little real, but when we can count on the other person, this becomes pretty easy. But when we can't count on the other person, that's when it gets really tough. Right? That's when we begin to think, ah, I can't do this. No more. And you know what? There's a lot of voices in this world that are telling you, you're right. You need to run. You need to get away. But that's not the voice that's based on Scripture or that comes from the Holy Spirit. Instead, the voice that comes from Scripture and from the Holy Spirit is telling you, love, even when you don't feel loved. Appreciate even when you aren't appreciated. Care even when you aren't being cared for. When somebody hits you in the face, don't hit them back. Turn. Take the other cheek. I know you're, you're thinking of reasons like worldly reasons why this doesn't make any sense, why you shouldn't do this thing you don't want to be taken advantage of. Well, let me ask you, what's Christ like? To fight for your rights, what you deserve, or to be willing to get on a cross for somebody that you love. When Jesus was being nailed to the cross, what did he pray? What did he say to God? Forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And that's the kind of love that, that Christ is calling us to have for one another. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, counted the cost. He knew what was coming. He begged God to take it away. But then after he had counted the cost and he realized that God wasn't going to change the plan, what did he say? Not my will, but yours be done. Even if I have to give you and all the people that hate me and that are begging for Pilate to crucify me, even if I have to give them every last drop of blood in my veins and tears on my brow, sweat on my brow, even if I have to give them everything, I'm going to do it. And so that as he was being nailed to the cross, it wasn't a choice he had to make then. He had already made the choice. He had already counted the cost. He had walked his way into Jerusalem knowing what was going to happen because he loved us that much. Even when we didn't love him, he loved us that much. Even when we were, as Paul says, his enemies, he loved us that much. And so you will have to work and you will have to fight to have that kind of love. But are you willing To make that passion, to have that passion, and to make that commitment. I'm desperate to see in the church today a group of people who are passionate about loving God and loving each other. There are so many things in this world about which we are passionate. 
The show that we binge watch on Netflix or the politician that we support or the political party or the political platform that we think is going to fix our country. We are more passionate about that than the person that we looked at and said, nothing is going to happen that is going to cause me to question my love for you. Death is the only thing that can separate us. Yet we are more passionate about all of these trivial things than we are about that vow that we took. May we be a people who are passionate about the relationships in our life. Who are going to love people the way Jesus loved us and make that commitment before we ever start, before things hit the fan, so that when they do, we can be the person that doesn't have to make a conscious choice, but out of the choice that we've already made and then that, 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 that thing that is within us instinctually, we act in a loving way because that's who we are, that's who we decided to be a long time ago. Regardless of what we get in return. A God-honoring relationship will cost you everything. And it will be worth every last drop. Not because you're going to get from the other person everything you want. But because something that on the surface might not seem as beautiful to you, but it's more beautiful to me than anything. Because you're going to get the opportunity to love the way Jesus does. To be the medium of unconditional love to another human being in your life. I love when I get hugs from my family. I I love when I get loved. I love when I get words of affirmation from my wife. That's my main love language. I love that. It makes me feel good. But you know what I love more? When When I bring a smile to either one of my boys' faces. When I get to serve them in that way, to do something that they love to do, to listen to them laugh uncontrollably when I get down on the ground and crawl around and let them ride around like a horse. I guess a bull more than a horse, but you know what I mean. <laughs> the joy that that brings them, man, that's better than any gift or hug. Man, knowing that I got to love them in that way. And the same is true for, for Cheryl and for anybody else that I'm in a loving relationship with when I get to serve them get to send her flowers when I think to do that sort of thing or, or act in some other way, do something unexpected and surprise her. That, that makes me feel better than being loved. Try it out. Love unconditionally. Maybe that's what we're actually made to do.